thanks for joining me on the fourth series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience that ultimately impact on engagement, performance and loyalty. Whether that's about leadership style, psychological safety, mental well-being, companies' impact on society, neurodiversity and so much more, there is something for everyone. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. Working with companies who want to be great, with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture and a wow workforce, that's my thing. And that's what this podcast is all about. You know those challenges and questions that can occupy your headspace, perhaps working out how to support people or how to develop a better way of working or how to increase capacity while keeping people on your side? Well, I'm your soundboard, problem and picker, and guide to doing things that ultimately increase employee happiness. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. So in the run-up to International Women's Day, I've been thinking about who I'd like to talk to. It was a long shot, but I contacted the author of an amazing book, The Power of Perception, Leadership, Emotional Intelligence, and the Gender Divide, Dr. Sean Andrews, and she said yes. So I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Sean, who is in California, to unpick the amazing assets that women bring to companies in the shape of their superpowers and the barriers that continue to keep women from contributing fully in the workplace. So thank you for joining me, Sean. It's lovely to see you. Likewise, Lisa. Thanks for the invite. And I really look forward to talking with you today. Your podcast sounds awesome. Thank you. So um, your book clearly illustrates the reasons that we don't see more women um, leading in business. And we explain it's got nothing to do with women's skills uh, and competencies and has everything to do with perceptions of women as leaders and as workers and as mothers and wives. Um, and we've seen this all too clearly, actually, with everything that's been happening recently with Jacinda Arden. Um, and I'm un- I'm looking forward to unpicking that today. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited because this whole, um, the book is something I was just telling you off air that I listened to on Audible um, a couple of years ago. And it was so amazing that I then had to buy the hard copy so I could like just scribble all over it. So we're going to find out a little bit more about what's in that book and why it's so influential in a moment. But before we do that, Tell us a little bit more about you, what you do, and your research company. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I am um, uh, what I I like to call a solopreneur. Um, Mm -hmm. So basically, I am self-employed, and I'm in my ninth year now of my own business. And just a little side note for any of you out there who are listening who may have been recently downsized or laid off, what I do today is because of a layoff. Mm -hmm. So when one door closes, other doors open. And that is absolutely true. For me, I was working at a, just a brief, brief little story about that. Uh, I was working at a pharmaceutical company, been there for about seven years and they got acquired by another company. And we had heard there was going to be a, you know, a fair amount of layoffs. And the division I was in at the time, R&D was going to be hit pretty hard. So uh, my boss calls me into her office walk in HR's in the room and I knew you know I just mm. inside I just knew you know that was gonna something was gonna happen so I sit down and, and they my boss says Shawnee your position's been eliminated but you know you get a severance package 
And inside, I actually was really excited because that particular role, there were some challenges to that particular role anyways, but the, the fact that I, I got a severance package. I was fortunate because it gave me a bit of a cushion mm. to take a risk and start my own business. And actually, I mean, honestly, that was the push I needed. If I hadn't been laid off nine years ago, um, I would still probably be in pharma. So that was and that, that is such a good message right now, because with the economic climate, there are so many people who are being laid off or they're in small companies that are just closing. And it's almost a daily story and it's mm-hmm. you know it can be filled with that sense of tragedy or can be filled with that sense of um optimism and opportunity and you know if you've if you've got something you're passionate about and you think well actually I'm just going to make a go of it and see what happens and I know that's really hard if you've got all the responsibilities of you know financial um obligations but to have that opportunity like it is that kick out the door isn't it or something that makes it triggers you to think now is the time it's now or never Yes, yes. So I, I hopefully your listeners will find some encouragement in that because it, it was a push and uh, it was a trigger absolutely that I, I wouldn't have had normally. And so it the layoff turned out to be a blessing in disguise. And I thought to myself, you know, why not? Because I I'd gotten, ironically, got my doctorate the year before, then I get laid off. And uh, so I had my degree under my belt. Um, I had, you know, I had a lot of work experience at that point over 20 years of experience. And I thought, you know, I've never really tried my hand in my own business. And I thought I'm going to take this opportunity, take a risk, try it. And I, and I gave myself three years because I'd heard that it takes about three years to turn a profit. And uh, I, I'm happy to say I'm in year nine now. So you, you never know. And uh, yeah, there's, there's look for the silver lining. There might be opportunity if you're you know in that situation right now. So. And you're, and in terms of what you've been doing that nine years, um, mm-hmm. Is that all focused around research um, or is it like, tell us a little bit more kind of about what your job actually looks like? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So um, I, I've i always loved public speaking. I mean, I, I'm actually an educator by nature, by nature. That's at the core of who I am. I'm an educator um, because I've been a corporate trainer for a number of years I chose to get my, my doctorate is actually an EDD, a doctor of education um, in organizational leadership. And then I've had a number of formal training roles. And, and now I, and I'm, I've been a professor now for about seven years too. So there's education and there's education thread in all of that. And so, so speaking, I, I knew that I loved educating from the stage and influencing and inspiring people uh, through education, through empowerment. And so I knew that early on in my business. I knew I wanted to be a, a professional speaker. And, and then that eventually branched off into teaching. So I, then I started a couple of years after I finished my, my degree, I started teaching as a professor in business schools. And so I really love that. I still do that today. Um, and then that branched off into coaching, you know, a bit of coaching around gender, leadership, emotional intelligence for some individuals. Uh, and then now I'm doing some consulting around diversity, equity, and inclusion work to help companies uh, you know, be more inclusive and, and leverage all the benefits that diversity brings. And so it's um, so that's it's kind of you know evolved over time, but but those are still the core. I mean, speaking, teaching, consulting, I would say is the core of my business, and it's really it's all centered around five core topics, and that's leadership, gender. Uh, emotional intelligence, 
bias and uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. So, yeah, and so everything I do is centered on those those topics, and and uh, fortunately, they're all very relevant today in today's workplaces and today's world. So, so tell us then how um because your book explores those specific areas um of uh, sort of leadership style and emotional intelligence, uh, gender bias, stereotypes, and so on. Tell us how you came to focus or identify those specific barriers like what is it that drew you to those specifically yes yeah uh so back in 2013 actually no 2010 when I started when I started my program my my doctoral program at the time McKinsey the women in the workplace study which is now heavily cited and referenced but it, it wasn't that common at the time and so McKinsey had just published their 2010, you know, women in the workplace report. And it was just starting to get to mainstream media. But when I read that report, I was shocked when I saw the numbers. I like, like most people, <laughs> when, mm-hmm. when you read the statistics, I, I was like, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was really interested in what was behind it. And I wanted to know why here we are in the 21st century. Why in this day and age, do we still have a significant leadership gender gap? And why don't we see more women leading our global organizations, given all the talent, skills, you know, knowledge, competencies that women bring to the workplace? Why are we not seeing women in large numbers in any organization in leadership? And so that's really what, what, what triggered me. And, and I really wanted to find out what was behind it. And so through my dissertation research, I studied all the barriers and I and I looked at all the reasons why women um, you know, why we don't see more women leading and comp- barriers, obstacles that many women experience in the workplace. Now, men can also experience these barriers, but it's to a mu- much lesser extent. So, but for women, these barriers are, they're significant and it's a range. It's a number of different barriers. And I, I break it down in, in the book. I put it in four, there's really five general categories of barriers. Um, you have your institutional mindsets, and that includes like gender bias, gender stereotyping, um, something called role congruity theory. But all that category is is heavily based on bias. Mm. That's a big piece of the you know of the reason, but it's not the only piece. And then you have you know individual mindsets, which is a fair amount of women hold themselves back for different reasons. You know, uh, oftentimes many of the women that I interviewed told me that when they looked at the top, they didn't want to work 70 hours a week. They didn't want the politics, um, you know, the backstabbing, everything that goes along sometimes with the, you know, high level positions mm. uh, because they valued other things like work-life balance. And and so, um, and, and that's okay. Um, and then I also, uh, another barrier is um, structural obstacles. So lack of role models, mentors, sponsors, uh, lack of access to informal networks for many women, uh, w- which still exists today in our organizations. And there's lots of different examples of informal networks. So, um, and then um, finally there's breadwinner caregiver issues. And that's about that's about work-life balance, but it's a uh, breadwinner caregiver is, uh, and I can expand on any of these if you're interested. I know mm-hmm. I'm going through them quite quickly right now, but I'm just giving you a high level overview yeah, yeah. of the barriers. But um, breadwinner caregiver is really interesting because um, for women, 
it, it's a significant barrier if, if you plan on having a family because um, women, today's households, most couples work full-time, both, both parents. And so if you're trying to manage your career successfully, but you also have the lion's share of the caregiving duties at home or the elder care, your own parents are your spouse's parents a lot of times. And you also have the lion's share of the household activities, the cooking, the cleaning, the groceries, you know, um, it's very difficult to manage all that. And so even in today's households, when you have dual breadwinners, women often have the lion's share of the, the caregiving and the household duties. Um, and so that's even among our youngest generation. So millennials, Gen Z, men actually are better than older generations, older men with around with the household duties, but women still have the lion's share of the caregiving. So that's that's also another major category of barriers that, you know, and I give lots of advice around this topic as well. But uh, there's there's definitely things that, you know, if, if you're in the situation or, or think you'll be at some point, there's certainly things you can do uh, to address that. And then gender culture is the other big piece. And that's unique to my research where I talk about um, how men and women are socialized differently, which starts at birth and carries into the workplace as adults. And then also how we're hardwired in our brains. So we, we show up differently at work. We have different approaches to business. Uh, nearly, uh, virtually every aspect of business, we have different approaches. And, and that's actually not a bad thing. And, and uh, our differences should be celebrated and valued. So uh, yeah, and that fits with the whole diversity agenda, doesn't it? Like we need different ways of thinking and um, different ways of seeing the world uh, to kind of be be inclusive and and have a you know together that's better rather than just having one unique way of looking at it and focusing on that but I think it's really interesting what you're saying about the caregiver role as well because I think sometimes people get a bit uh, stuck thinking well that's just about hours like who's got the hours to do the work or the caring and so on and I think actually it's um, it can go deeper than that in that as a um as, as a mum you have a different feeling a different connection with children so for example look, the number of women if they can't go to their children's sports day they feel guilty it's that sense of they really want to be there um I feel I'm letting them down they feel bad about it um a dad might not feel so bad about it they're just like well I can't go because I've got a meeting so it's kind of much more and I think from speaking to some people uh, recently and, and doing some reading and actually particularly around everything that's come up since um, Jacinda Ardern's decision to to leave her role people are um, kind of questioning this whole is it just a um, logistics exercise or is it actually you know you're talking about the hardwiring the brain your kind of emotional connection with things we just feel differently about stuff as well yeah, and there's there's actually nothing wrong with that. So nice. so for women, women having the emotional bond with their ch child and wanting to be the primary caregiver, that's perfectly fine. But where I think where we have a lot of room for improvement is the lion's share of the caregiving. So so for so and if you're if you're trying to manage a career and then you have the lion's share of the caregiving, it makes it very difficult to mm -hmm. succeed at everything. Mm -hmm. So the bottom the bottom line here is. We will not have parity in the workplace until we have more parity at home. Mm. Now, and, and and I'm just, that is so true. I, we simply will not even get close to parity at work if we don't have more parity at home. Now, that doesn't mean that the woman can't be the primary caregiver. 
Um, I've heard, heard lots of creative things that couples come up with. So um, there's one, one story that I recall where she took, um, I think it was, it actually was a woman who was a, owned her own financial firm. I talk about her in the book. So she took, um, I think the first maybe five, six years off to raise her children, get them through preschool into elementary school. And then once that was done, she they decided as a couple that she would go back to work. He took a step down in his job and they relocated for her job. That's just one of many different solutions. So, um, but there's, and so there's nothing wrong. If, mm-hmm. if you are a woman who wants to be a primary caregiver, that's fine. But there, think of creative ways that you and your partner can work it out to where you don't have to sacrifice your entire career to have a family. Yes. Because, because women, as long as women are burying the children, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, <laughs> um, we need to come up with more creative solutions for this. And we need couples talking. Um, and we, and, and I know that sounds incredibly simple, but I was, I'm still amazed at how many women I've spoken to who never had the conversation with their spouse or partner about breadwinner caregiver issues. Mm. They just assumed they'd be the one to take, to leave their job, take time off Mm. or or step away from their job. And they just assumed it. And so Mm. it's really important before you have a child, have that conversation with your spouse or partner about these issues. How are you going to work it? What are some possible scenarios? And then I'd also suggest too have that same conversation with your employer about your work-life balance needs. It's really important because today, I mean, companies are listening more than ever too. So, yeah. And I think, and also part of that then is about helping women put down that guilt that they feel that if they're working really hard and they're following their career aspirations and, you know, they're doing well with their, their job that actually they're then not being a good enough mum. And it's that sense of guilt that actually I can't attend every sports day and that's okay because I'm my career is also really important. It's about getting that balance. But it's the guilt bit you hear a lot of that women will carry around with them. Um, and so that needs to be kind of part of that conversation that people have as a, as a couple or with their workplace in terms of how to get the, the balance so that it feels right they can put down some of that guilt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and also we need to address biases around stay-at-home fathers. We mm. need more men to be okay with being a father because you're a parent, you're a co-parent. So uh, there should not, you know, we, we really need to address the stigma around that as well. Mm. Um, because, you know, there, there's no, I mean, in today's work, in today's age, um, and I think there be, there are more stay-at-home fathers now than there used to be, of course, but so by far, I mean, it pales in comparison to the number of women that take time off. So, so yeah, that's another piece of it. So there are seven key qualities uh, distinct to each gender uh, that serve them well, according to your uh, research. And um, they are, they stem from how our brains are hardwired. And also, as you say, how people have been socialized as men and women in today's society. So I'd love for you to talk us through them. And I know that you wrote a, um, you've written a blog, you've written something about this and we'll put the link to that in the show notes, but I'd really be interested for you to kind of talk us through those seven key qualities. And I think it's also um, important to note that you have identified the seven key qualities uh, for men as well, because there's sometimes when we have these kinds of conversations, you can, there'll be some men thinking, well, it's all very well. We're trying to 
push kind of um you know focus on women and how amazing women are and aren't men getting a hard deal but actually you are very good at balancing that out so um so the the link to the men's ones will also go in the show notes um but talk to talk us through those sites well you've got the seven superpowers which i love yeah yeah so uh, yeah and actually what spurred this on is i was asked a couple of years ago by diversity woman magazine to contribute to an article uh, on this topic you know around this it wasn't these same seven mm-hmm. superpowers but then it got me thinking that you know based on you know my research and everything i've seen and i start, it didn't really take that long to come up with this list for me because i you know this is what i do every day mm-hmm. um and then that actually led me to start thinking about well equally is important on the other side of the coin you know men have seven superpowers that are sometimes opposite of these powers and sometimes they're complementary to these yeah and they they the reason i call them superpowers is because these are skills that are generally innate to our gender and like you said uh, and it's linked to our hardwiring and in our brains and, and how we're socialized so um would you like me to go through this? i would so, love you to talk us okay. through them <laughs> okay okay so since you're going to be sharing a a link to the article the article does give a bit of a description on each of them what they are so i'll just touch on them briefly and and you know i'm happy to expand further if you want mm-hmm. but so the seven i'll just read the set i'll list the seven first so yeah. it's transformational leadership mm-hmm. uh divergent problem solving communication skills empathy, interpersonal relationships, intuition, and number seven is grit and resilience. So when I started- I love that, grit and resilience. That's such a good one. (laughs) Well, it's more, and I'll I'll get to the reason why, uh, you know, grit actually, uh, if if you're, um, if you or any of your listeners or, you know, have looked into grit, you've probably heard of Angela Duckworth who wrote the book Grit. She has a great TED talk on the topic of grit and what she, her original research, she looked at, was looking at kids. And what she found is that children who, um, it's not necessarily, you know, who's the smartest, uh, but it's who was the grittiest. So the kids who, you know, maybe had an average intelligence, you know, maybe they struggled a little bit in school, but they kept with it. They stuck, you know, they persevered. Those kids turned out to be most successful. And we see the same thing in adults. So the reason that this is a superpower for women is that women, just by nature of women's lives, uh, we have to juggle a lot of different things. Uh, we, we were just talking about, you know, breadwinner, caregiver, you know, household, your your family, your your health, your fitness, you know, vacations, your social life. There's so much we need to juggle. And And to be fair, men also juggle, but women juggle more. Mm. usually to a greater extent women are juggling more so by just by nature of what of you know being women what women do in society women naturally develop grit and resilience and women become gritty over the course of their careers as well you know if you come up against some of these barriers barriers that i you know talked about earlier some of these obstacles, you figure out, okay, how do I get around that? Okay, now I'm going to go this angle. I'm going to try this approach. You become gritty. And so that is a real superpower that women have because I've heard so many stories and I'm sure you you all have two that you maybe heard or read or seen of women that, you know, they get knocked down, maybe get set back, they, um, but they keep going. 
because you have to oftentimes you have to keep going you have to um you know keep maintain the family you have to mm-hmm. hold that one together you know you maintain your career so women are truly the glue to society and and i think they're the engine of the world when you look at the percentage of labor pay, both paid and unpaid labor women are driving that even in um underdeveloped or um underdeveloped countries um develop developing countries that's the word i'm looking for mm. uh, de- both developed and developing countries mm. is is the percentage of unpaid labor by far is is more women than men mm. and so women truly are the engine so as a result uh grit and resilience is what we see from that that's um, so going back to the first one I mentioned, transformational leadership. So there's, so as I mentioned, my my degree is in organizational leadership. So I had to study a lot of different leadership styles, <laughs> uh, practice them, teach them, learn about them, you know, dissect them. Um, there are over thirty different well documented leadership styles out there that have they're well studied. They all have assessments to them. You know, they have analysis. Um, and they're very commonly used, they've been commonly used for decades, but there's only two that are strongly linked to gender out of all, all the leadership styles. And one, one thing I will note, it's an important point, is men and women have been shown to be equally effective leaders overall, but we lead by a different style. So the two styles that are linked to gender is transformational leadership and transactional leadership. And you've probably heard these terms. Hmm. So transformational leadership is based on collective problem solving and decision-making. It's based on ethics, integrity, uh, values, long-term goals. Uh, So in general, teamwork, collaboration. Um, So that style has been linked to women, women's style of leadership. And what the data shows is that in today's organizations, that's the style of leadership that people want and need in our highly matrixed competitive organizations. Uh, The other style, transactional leadership, there's, uh, it's, it's essentially quid pro quo leadership. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Mm. It's extremely common in business and in politics, Mm -hmm. and it's associated with a male style of leadership. So there's a time and place for that, uh, but transformational leadership is a style that's inherent and innate in women. And if women could just, first of all, recognize that, that this is an inherent style that is naturally aligned with women's uh, characteristics, women's skills, um, and then learn how to leverage and improve that, that will go a long way in helping you be a better transformational leader. And um, and uh, empower followers, you know, help you influence. People will want to follow you. And that's, as I mentioned, that's the type of leadership that um, companies today need. And do you think leaders, do you think companies are um, aware of those two different styles? And then when they're recruiting leaders and making sure that they balance that out or are they just unaware of that so that kind of happens by chance um if if there's a you know diverse leadership at all yeah no that's an excellent question lisa uh 
it's it's both. It's a mixed bag. Um, there are, I would say, a fair amount of companies, companies that are a little more forward thinking, uh, companies that value professional development, leadership development. Um, those are the companies that I have seen transformational leadership programs even embedded into their leadership development program. So, and, and, and companies, uh, some companies do train on it as well. So yeah, so there are companies out there that do that. There are other companies that have no idea yeah. uh, and, and they're hiring, recruiting, you know, most people, unless you've studied it, like I have, you know, most people don't break it down into the style and know exactly what the styles are. Mm. Uh, but it, it's, it's not, it's not, it would not be difficult to, once you're aware of the different styles, to look for, hire, even um, even your succession planning, your promotion, you know, could be based on, should actually should, I should say, should be based on um, style of leadership and your effectiveness as a leader in your company. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so the, this, because for example, trans, if, if someone is just transactional, let's say 95% of the time, they may say, okay, you know, Joe, Joe, we work really hard on this next project. If you do that, I'll get you the next promotion. That's a quid pro quo transactional yeah. style of leadership. You do this for me now, I'll get this for you later. Well, as you might imagine, that, that could be motivational for some people, but it's not going to work for everyone. And overall, it's not a style that's sustainable either, and nor is it equitable. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably the biggest issue with it is it's it's not equitable. It's based on I owe you a favor, you owe me a favor. Yeah. So let's, you know, um, but transformational leadership is very different. Um, and both the follower and the leader are, as the name, uh, it's called transformational leadership because both the leader and the follower are transformed in the process. And do you think... Um that because it's interesting hearing about the uh you explain transformation transactional leadership i was thinking about a, an event i was organized with uh running end of last year around uh transformational leadership and it was about increasing self-awareness and compassion and so on and just kind of starting with them uh, as leaders and help that and looking at their style and the benefits of uh tweaking how they did things do you think that um it's a reasonable expectation for companies who understand then the difference to provide training for their male leaders to become more transformational or is it better for companies just to accept that men do the transactional bit well and then we just need more women on the leadership boards to do and leadership roles to do the transformational bit so it's that kind of actually should we be trying to even it out by making sure that everyone's good at all types of leadership or should we just accept that different people have different superpowers and yeah no I, I think we definitely should be training to different styles of leadership and that yeah. that's what le a good leadership development program in mm -hmm. an organization that's what you would do is you would train people how to be effective leaders mm -hmm. men and how to be effective leaders and also educate them around the different styles. So the the best leaders, uh, there's um, Daniel Goleman, who's um, quite popular around mm -hmm. emotional intelligence. Uh, he, years ago, actually, I think it was two th the year 2000, he wrote a Harvard Business article on styles of leadership. And it was six different styles centered on emotional intelligence competencies. 
And what, what he showed is that, and again, there were gender, um, gender related styles, even with in what he wrote back then that are related to EQ, but there were a couple neutral styles as well. But what he basically showed is that the best leaders use a combination of two or three, a few different styles, not yeah. just don't rely solely on one, mm. but a combination given the different situation. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah. And, and not, and a caveat, caveat to actually everything I'm saying today mm. is not all men and women fall exactly into these patterns. There's yeah. always individual exceptions. So there are some women who actually might use more of the transactional style of leadership. And there are some men who actually might be more transformational. But yeah. I talk about general, when you look at the data, when you look at thousands of people or millions mm -hmm. of people, I talk about general gender trends, you know, yeah. based on the yeah. research. So, But I also think it's really um, helpful hearing you say that actually we think you should be training um, people in different styles and uh, rather than just accepting because... The argument that people say, well, I am, my brain works like this. This is who I am. This is my, this is how I operate. Uh, and therefore that's just me. Um, is no longer good enough in a sense. Actually, it's, you know, we need to be challenging that and saying, well, that might be okay at one point, um, but that's not how we do things now. And I, and I talk a lot with people about you know, just because that's how you've always done something, that's just, just what you automatically do. That's just maybe how your brain just operates at the moment. Doesn't mean you can't change, you can't grow and develop and um, kind of just have better awareness of others and yourself to be able to tweak your style slightly. So it's, so I'm pleased that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And, and you said a couple key words there, self-awareness for one. Mm -hmm. uh, two is your adaptability. You know, you're willing to change and be flexible. Mm -hmm. uh, and in today's age, I mean, to, to remain competitive in the workplace, you, you have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't think you're, you're going to be very successful over the long haul by just sticking to one way of doing things. No, and actually it was interesting that the the transformational uh, event I was um, facilitating were all males that came along to that, a bar one woman. And I think it was really interesting because that was all, that was focusing on authentic leadership and compassion and um, vulnerability and so on. And they were keen to learn. And they were saying, this is not my bag. This is not my strength. And I, but I recognize I need to do, more of this or this a little bit better than I'm currently doing so um so which is really reassuring <laughs> yeah well well here's actually four things um your listeners can do male or female or anywhere in between if you, if you want to be a better transformational leader is leverage one leverage your empathy be more empathetic you know learn practice it more learn to be more empathetic two is to leverage your relationships uh, the quality of your relationships to make sure they're mutually satisfying. Uh, the third thing is to um, improve your listening skills. You know, listen actively and not waiting to speak, but listening, listen to learn, listening um, by, you know, intently. And then the fourth is to focus on your teamwork and collaboration skills more. So those four areas will help you be a better transformational leader, leader. but for women, uh, I, it's a superpower because these skills are natural. And so these skills absolutely can be tapped into and, um, and leveraged. Mm. Awesome. Right. So yeah. what's the next one on your list? 
Okay, so so the next one is divergent problem solving, and this one uh, I've actually this is becoming like one of my one of my favorite um, topics is because most people are completely unaware of this. So when we go to solve problems, and again in general, not all men and women, but in general, men use what's called a convergent thinking style. So think of it like a laser beam. So men focus on the problem like a laser. It's they solve it, you know, they're quick, it's expeditious, it's efficient, and they're not distracted by any, you know, extraneous variables. So it's efficient, it's quick, and so that's that's the advantage of it. It's called convergent. Women use divergent problem solving. Think of it like a radar screen. So when women go to solve a problem, women consider first the impact on them, their team, the impact on themselves, the impact on their company. How's it going to impact the client, our reputation, maybe even you know personal lives. So women consider many factors and then they go and make the decision or solve the problem. So this is called divergent type style of thinking. So this, um, the important thing to note here is there are pros and cons to both of these, hmm. but in most workplaces, the convergent, the, the radar, the, the laser beam, excuse me, the laser beam style, the male style is the one that's used most often, hmm. but divergent problem solving like the radar is also equally effective, but it's not used as much. And so what I often will tell, you know, my, my suggestion for companies is determine which approach is the most effective given the situation. There's going to be times when you need to solve the problem, just quickly get it done, solve it, move on. There's going to be other times when it's a bigger decision or it has an impact on your customers or your employees. You need to really think it through more. So the advantage of divergent problem solving is the chances of having to repeat it again because mm -hmm. you were too efficient the first time you made mistakes and you may have missed things that would have been a better alternative. Um, the advantage of it is it, it may take a little longer, but chances of having to re repeat it are much less. So um, we need to recognize both approaches and we need to, to solve problems and know that they're both perfectly good ways of thinking but we also need to value each approach. And, and for women, this is another superpower is their ability to think, consider multiple things, think through multiple things, and then make a decision and solve a problem. So that has served women very well, uh, both at work, but also in their personal lives. Absolutely. And you see that all the time, don't you? That sense of um, decisions just being made really quickly. It's kind of like, we just need to solve the problem. And there's yeah, none of yeah. <laughs> And it, and it infuriates so many women because it's like you're missing half the stuff, half the picture here. And you can just see it on a day to day basis in any walk of life, whether you're at work or at home or whatever. Just that that huge difference in how we look at a problem. And um, the number of times I wanted to, you know, bash my husband in terms of just saying, for goodness sake, just listen like this. You're missing the point. He said, no, I got the point. The point, the problem is this. I've just solved it. It's like, no, no, you haven't looked at the big picture. It's kind of like. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Got, it. got it. Well, it, look, looking at that radar screen, you know, picking up signals from your for our, from our environments that that is a skill. Uh, it's also it's linked to our hardwiring, how women are, you know, in our brains, we're we're actually making connections um, more so. We have you know fat corpus callosums that connect the hemispheres. We have a lot of connections going back and forth. 
Um, and so that serves us well with this divergent problem solving. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I guess that's where, um, in terms of taking the extra information from your environments, uh, would that be where we're seeing, you know, picking up on the nonverbal communication yes. and so on? It's that ability to empathize, even if you think that's not the right solution, but I hear what you're saying. I know where we can, I understand that it might not work best here, but thank you for, you know, it's that sense of just taking the time to do that bit of it, which is, you got it. which is really important. It validates people's feelings and makes them feel valued and that sense of belonging even if their decision you know isn't the one that resolves the problem in the end you got it you got it well at least that's a perfect segue into the next superpower communication skills mm-hmm. so that, that that is one key difference another difference is women tend to pick up non-verbals more so than men men tend to cue in more on verbal uh verbal cues so uh, when, but women are picking up all kinds of things. I have this funny cartoon that I that I use in my slides. Uh, I'll just kind of walk you through it. But it's it's mm. two women talking, and they just all they say to each other is hi, you know, hi, hi. But then all there's all the stuff in the middle, like check out her hair, look, inspect her jewelry. <laughs> is that a real, you know, is that a real belt? Uh, what's her mm. jeans doing? Uh, you know, or shaved, shaved legs, you know, yeah. I, I've seen that top before. I love the hairstyle. There's like all these messages that we're both picking up and sending to the other party mm. constantly. Mm. And that's how women's brains are wired. And then it's funny because that's, that's juxtaposed to next to two men saying, hi, hi. And there's just one string going across. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's, there's no messages. It's just one. Hi, that's it. <laughs> so <laughs> I like to use that. It's just a, a kind of a whimsical look at it, but so, so that is one, one difference is the verbals and the nonverbals uh, and how we uh, approach it. But um, again, because of our hard wiring plays another part here as well is um, uh, the ability to communicate across hemispheres. Uh, it's also the reason that, and I and there's a section in, in the book about gender and the brain that, that you may recall, Lisa, but uh, I talk all about the neuroanatomy differences, um, but, but there's several actually. Uh, one is the, the corpus callosum and the connections between the two hemispheres. But another one is because of how our brains are wired, it gives women strong verbal abilities to articulate what we're feeling and thinking. And it also, it gives us the ability to uh, listen with intent also. So, you know, listening skills plays into that. So um, because of all these reasons, that's the, that's why this is another uh, superpower for women. Yeah, it's, it's um, that, that whole communication piece is just so vital isn't it and you know communication is the the one of the biggest challenges regardless of whether they're talking about gender or um leadership or whatever it's just one of the biggest challenges that companies are facing and the number of hr uh leaders um and different directors i talk to who just say it's just it comes back to communication all the problems we experience in our organization comes back to communication either you know, it's just not happening enough it's not happening in the right way or people believe it's happened and it hasn't or we're just missing the communications in front of us and we're not picking that up um there's a there's a huge amount of work to be done just on that one area alone absolutely oh and there's there's you know courses written just on that topic there's yeah. multiple books i mean it's such an important topic but 
I, I'm I'm of the mind that you it's not it's not possible to over communicate. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and, and most you're right, and and that, but it's still problematic in most of our interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't communicate enough. We don't communicate, you know, clearly uh, or or as effectively as we should, and that's yeah. definitely an issue in companies. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. We're going to take a break. Sean has so much to say that I've decided to hit pause and you'll have to come back for part two next week. I think you'll agree that she really knows her stuff. And next time you'll hear her talk about the remaining superpowers, practical advice about how to develop them further and the role of men in supporting women. And the good news is that it benefits them too. So for today, thank you for joining me on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. It will be great if we can share the powerful messages that Sean described. So please do get involved in the cause, especially as we celebrate International Women's Day and share this podcast with others. Rating it also means that the messages spread further. So join me for part two of this conversation and let's make a positive difference to women in the workplace and company culture. In the meantime, feel free to email me at it's time for change, connect with me on LinkedIn or pick up the phone and we can chat. My details are in the show notes. So until next time, bye for now. Thank you.